Hello and welcome to the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast, where we talk about pursuing a lifestyle of complete dependence on God, how to grow and multiply yourself, and how to demonstrate the good news of Jesus. I'm Adrian Gregorich, and Andy Tier and I recently read a book that opened up the opportunity for a lot of great conversations. Yeah, to place this episode in its proper context, it was recorded right here in the final week of April 2020 as the COVID-19 pandemic has caused much of the world to slow down and many businesses and other activities have completely stopped. People here in the U.S. have been asked to limit all of their trips outside of their homes to essential business only, and this has caused many of us to spend an unprecedented amount of time in relative isolation. And as we talk to other people on staff and have asked them how during this time especially they have practiced depending on God, a couple people on staff mentioned a book by Carrie Thomas called Sacred Pathways. I discovered that counseling pastor Paul Lingy had presented several of the teachings from this book in a staff chapel a few years ago, so we hunted him down and recorded the following conversation. Now, before we go to that conversation, I think you should know that we found this particular topic impossible to cover in one episode of the podcast. We believe that this information is so relevant to meeting our goal of living and loving like Jesus that we've decided to stretch this topic over two episodes of this podcast. So in this episode, as we've already said, you'll hear our conversation with Paul. In the next one, we'll be talking with some people on our worship team, Bree Bondrant and Chris Hirsch, about their own personal experiences with discovering their sacred pathways and how they're using that knowledge to grow in their dependence on God and worship Him all seven days of the week. Right now, let's listen in on our conversation with counseling pastor Paul Lingy. Hi, hey, this is Adrian and Andy, and we're here with Paul today on our Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. And Paul's been a longtime staff member here at Crossroads and currently out in the Counseling Center. So Paul, can you just introduce yourself and give us some insight into what you're doing right now at the Counseling Center? Sure, I'd be happy to. It's a pleasure to be with you all today. Uh, My name is Paul Lingy, and I've been a part of Crossroads probably for the better part of going on almost 30 years now. Uh, We were a part of Crossroads back when it was Cullen Avenue Christian Church, and uh, my family and I have served in a variety of roles, including uh, serving overseas as well as a pastor on staff. My current title is Counseling Pastor, and I oversee our counseling center and also do uh, pastoral counseling. And our objective really is to uh, minister to the mental health and pastoral counseling needs of our community in the tri-state. So what's that look like now in the in the midst of all of this COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, we are open for business and we have been right. uh, this entire time. It's different for sure. We do not see any clients in person uh, or face-to-face. We are doing uh, 100% of our counseling uh, over uh, the phone or via video. We have an encrypted uh, video tool called DoxyMe. Uh, just to ensure privacy. And uh, we do these appointments uh, on a daily basis, Monday through Friday. So if anyone is in need of counseling services, which I know many are, I uh, just wanted everyone to know that we we are open and we are available uh, to see clients. All right. So we're, we brought you here to talk about this book that we're we're learning, we're going through, we're reading uh, called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas and talking to a couple different staff people who are reading it, your name came up that you actually taught the staff about this book a couple years back. So we want to hear from you uh, just 
of synopsis of the book in general and how you kind of think it's important for us right now in this time. Yeah, I first heard about uh, the book actually in, a, in an indirect way. I had heard about a, a different book that Gary uh, Thomas had written called Sacred Marriage, which is about the marriage relationship. From that, I learned that he had written, I believe it was a previous book, uh, I think it was written first, Sacred Pathways. Um, and the book uh, kind of came into my hands, I would say, somewhere around 11 or 12 years ago. It was originally published, I believe, in 1996. But it's a very freeing book. It's a very liberating book because it gives Christians permission to worship God in the way that he's wired them. Uh, I think often in Christian community, community we tend to want others to comply with our way of worshiping God in some way, whether that's even in the physical structures of the buildings we worship in or the words that we use or the habits that we form. And one of the things that was just so um, ministered to me in particular about the book is that it gives, it gives the reader freedom to worship God in a variety of ways based on how he's designed uh, that particular individual. Yeah. You know, as I was reading it and when I first started those first couple chapters, it kind of struck me how, um, you know, in the church and in the context of the church, a lot of times we give people kind of these guidelines or these ideas, like um, it's, it's a great idea to spend the first part of your day in quiet time. And, and, and we kind of talk through like these different ways that we, that we think are probably best practices for people so that they can relate to God and then have this thriving spiritual life. Right. And uh, this book, like you said, it gives unique permissions, kind of where, like, like for me personally, my, my quiet time looks very different. I think from from what many people would do, and that seeing that there were multiple ways that people relate to God, and then, like you said, having that permission was just very liberating. I thought, you know, it's interesting, Andy. I uh, just a little bit of my history. I was discipled in uh, by by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship when I was a student at DePaul University. And InterVarsity is a an excellent um, discipling organization, a campus ministry, and I'm so grateful for my experience with them. Part of, of being discipled in InterVarsity are probably uh, crew or navigators or a lot of different uh, discipleship ministries and churches as well. They they really emphasize the daily quiet time as you just as you just referred to. And um, it's kind of interesting because we tend to think of the quiet time almost like filling up our, our car with gasoline. You fill up and then you kind of burn it off through the rest of the day. In another tradition, in, in a Catholic tradition, monks, instead of a daily quiet time, they practice what's called the daily office, which Peter Schizero talks about in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, where you meet with God periodically throughout the day. And so kind of to contrast the, the analogies, the quiet time we have kind of thought of as fill up the gas tank, burn it off throughout the day, whereas the daily office is more about like having a meal. We wouldn't try to just gorge ourselves on a meal in the morning and then burn it off throughout the day. We have meals periodically throughout the day. And I think that's a helpful way to even think about reconnecting with God throughout the day. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we talk about these nine types. But there's even the whole idea of, of how and when we meet with God, um, there's, there's permission to do that differently. When I was reading through it as well, Andy, I had those, those same thoughts, those freedoms that you guys are talking about of just saying like, oh, okay, 
I don't connect with God in this way. Like sometimes we think, why isn't this working for me uh, when it seems to be working for everyone else? And there's that guilt that comes with it. But that, but this is saying, hey, there's actually multiple ways God has wired you specifically for these different ways to connect with him. And so the book actually lists nine different ways. And so we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about those. So Paul, can you just give us a brief overview of these nine types? Sure. So uh, the author lists nine different types. I'll give a brief description of each one. Um, so the first one is naturalists. And these are the folks that like to be outdoors. They connect with God um, in his creation. So they like to be outside, uh, open sky, walking through the woods. Uh, and that's how they most closely connect with God. A second type, it's called sensates, and they connect with God through their senses. And they really enjoy things that activate their sense of sight, like art, uh, sounds, music, uh, which can be a variety of different types of, of music or other sounds, as well as aromas. It's interesting, uh, we don't really use this uh, so much in the modern evangelical church, but the Russian Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodoxy, and I believe even the Catholic Church really uses um, incense and aromas to activate this, uh, uh, that piece of worship. So sensates would be the second type. A third type are the traditionalists that really enjoy connecting through God through the regularity. Some might even say it's the rigidity of liturgy, of predictability, of common practice. And uh, the structure and repetition uh, really helps them connect with, with the Lord. Uh, type number four are the ascetics. They love uh, God in solitude and simplicity. So they are the ones for whom the daily quiet time was invented. <laughs> they really <laughs> enjoy uh, that time with God, uh, independent of all other people or distractions. A fifth type, um, a fifth pathway are the activists. And that would be include those who, who worship God through adopting a cause. They want to change something. They want to reform something that should not be. They want to be a force for good in the world and deal a blow to evil um, through uh, their active participation. A sixth type are the caregivers. So those who just love to serve. They want to give of themselves. Um, they may uh, take care of the sick or orphans or adopted prisoners. So they, they're always about uh, serving others. Uh, type seven are the enthusiasts. They uh, love God through mystery and celebration, and they love outward displays of passion, enthusiasm. They have, they have gusto. So as where, whereas you might even think collectively, maybe as traditionalists more um, in some faith practices that would be like uh, or the Orthodox Church, maybe Episcopalian Church, uh, enthusiasts probably are gonna be more at home in charismatic churches where uh, dancing and, and worship uh, in, in a very, uh, in outward expressions is, is welcomed. Type eight is the contemplatives. They love God through adoration and, um, and they worship by attentiveness. They have an active prayer life. They like to just kind of contemplate. And finally, type nine are the intellectuals. They love God with their mind and hearts and uh, are opened up to a new attentiveness when they understand something new about God. They like to study. I remember reading a book written by an intellectual one time, Peter Wagner, who was writing about spiritual gifts. And he was contrasting his experience getting on a plane 
with Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill Bright would always talk about, he'd get on a plane and want to talk to people about Jesus. And Peter Wagner says, I get on a plane and I want to get out my books and I want people to leave me alone. And we tend to think that one way is better than the other, but it's okay. I mean, God has wired us in some ways. We, and we have to operate outside our gifts, just like we have to operate outside of our pathway sometimes. But it's okay to live in the pathway that God has kind of wired us for. I, yeah, I noticed as I was reading that he, one of the things he said that stood out to me is that Jesus was the complete man. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus relate through all nine of these uh, sacred pathways. But um, myself, as I was reading each of these chapters, I'd get to the end and then uh, there's a little, there's like, what is it, six questions. And, and you kind of score yourself to find out, you know, like, hey, is this one of the sacred pathways that I relate to? You know, and I, find, I found myself relating to a couple of them. Like, like mm-hmm. one kind of stood out, but I related to more than one. And then I think, too, like kind of throughout the week even, and sometimes over the course of, you know, like in special times in my life, like here over the past few weeks, we've been in a little bit of a different living situation. Sure. Um, those sacred pathways kind of have shifted for me a little bit. Um, is this something that, that you yourself has, have experienced as well? And, and I'd love to know what your sacred pathway is. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that, Andy. Um, I think different seasons in life um, can kind of drive the pathway that we're attracted to as well. Uh, sometimes when we're in a season of, of loss or grieving, we'll probably gravitate more toward uh, a pathway of the contemplative trying to get whole up and be, be with alone with God. Uh, uh, maybe there's times when we're, um, you know, when we have small children that we're, we're limited in, in being able to have uninterrupted time. So we have to adapt that way as well. Uh, I am probably most drawn toward a couple of these. Uh, the first one is the naturalist. I do love to be outdoors, uh, whether that's for exercise. Um, my wife and children will attest that I have, uh, taking them literally on thousands of miles to visit uh, a lot of our nation's national parks, which it, it is vacation, but for me, it's always been more than that. I really resonate with the words of the naturalist John Muir, who described our national parks in America as some of God's most beautiful outdoor cathedrals. And that, that strikes a chord with me, because when I'm there, I feel um, that I'm gazing upon uh, something supernatural, just supernatural uh, level beauty. So I, I definitely resonate with the naturalist. I do natural. Uh, I do resonate with the activist as well. I think that's because um, on the Enneagram, I'm a one, which is kind of the the perfectionist, the reformer, wants to kind of always be you know working on something to improve it. And so I do like to see. Um, I have a sense of the way things ought to be. And I think activists have, have a sense of the way things ought to be and, and, um, and usually act upon that. Um, and, uh, but, but I also, you know, um, Emily and I both have, have uh, connected with uh, different um, charismatic communities in worship as well. And so kind of even the enthusiast piece uh, resonates with me, uh, probably not as frequently, but from time to time. So, but I would say naturalists and activists are, are the ones that, that resonate most closely with me. Yeah, that's something I appreciated about this book, reading through it. 
Um, you mentioned the Enneagram and, and he even talks about the Myers-Briggs uh, and how this isn't necessarily a personality quiz. I know that those, those answers and questions at the end of each chapter to kind of figure out what you are, but it, he kind of cautions against uh, being pigeonholed into one. Uh, and I really love that he, he pulls out the verse and he says that we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the intellectual is not excused from failing to adore. Neither is the contemplative excused from harboring wrong beliefs about God. And so it's, it's kind of these different pathways, if you will, um, to God and, and how it's important to try things out as we, as we go on these, if we get into a rut uh, or find ourselves in these same patterns of sin to, we explore another pathway, which I really appreciated. And, and like you said, it gives a lot of that freedom. Um, how do you think we can apply these things in, in an everyday life instead of, instead of these kind of mountaintop moments that he speaks of, um, how to apply these yeah, in your everyday life? Yeah, I want to I wanna answer that question um, real quickly. Just since we were discussing the Enneagram, um, as, as you both know, and and our staff, we've done a little bit of training on the Enneagram profile. And it was kind of neat just to, to, to go back and look at these nine pathways. I don't know that there's a, a match for match in terms of your number on the Enneagram, which there's nine of, and these uh, nine sacred pathways. But I do think that um, there are probably some numbers, uh, Enneagrams, that I, I would say eights and ones, for example, probably um, resonate with the activists. Um, I would say that the fours, which are kind of the romantics, would, would really resonate with the sensates and the contemplatives. The fives on the Enneagram are the intellectuals. Um, and of course, there's an intellectual uh, pathway, on the nine sacred pathways. So all that to say, um, you're right, Adrian, these are not like nine spiritual personality profiles. Um, but I do think it's, it's kind of cool to see how, how Enneagram wiring maybe predisposes a person to be inclined toward one of these pathways, um, which I hope is freeing for people because, uh, intellectuals may have, may feel, uh, not at home sometimes in certain, uh, in worship cultures or others may as well. So you were asking just how, how does this look like, uh, what does this look like practically the, the, the application of these things? Yeah. You know, for myself, um, you know, one of the things that I started to do is uh, instead of just leaning quite so heavily on the morning daily quiet time is to connect with God periodically throughout the day. And that can look as simple as just pausing. One of the things that I've done is to take a candle and light it uh, for about two minutes and just meditate periodically throughout the day just to break up some of the busyness of the day. And I, that's a very, a very simple thing to do. It's not a time-consuming thing to do. Um, but sometimes I'll just set a timer and I light the candle, kind of look at it. Sometimes it's a scented candle, so it does kind of uh, hit, hit the senses. Um, and it just is a way to just, I guess, to use a cliche word, <laughs> recenter um, throughout the day. Um, so that's one application. I think another application of this, too, is we, th we think of this, and I think Gary Thomas wrote this book in terms of our individual worship experience, but I think this is also freeing for us as we think of collective worship experiences. So if you had to kind of describe the spectrum, 
I would say on one end of the spectrum of, of uh, some, some order and rigidity, you have the Orthodox um, worship experiences, maybe Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Catholicism, maybe Episcopalianism, uh, all the way over to um, some of the very, um, what, what appears disorderly, um, but very open, charismatic worship experiences. You have even in architecture, in some of those, um, in the Catholic and Orthodox churches, you have high ceilings and stained glass windows and incense. In kind of the modern evangelical church, you almost have no natural light coming in. You have controlled light, sometimes mist that's created or fog, and and that's become um, kind of the more uh, preferred worship experience in a lot of evangelical churches today. So, all that to say, this is this is not just about a, an individual preference; it's about corporate worship styles. And I think personally, this has helped me to appreciate some of that broad spectrum across worship style of groups of people, not just individuals. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that it listed um, kind of strengths for each of these, like kind of three strengths. And then it also listed um, three kind of potential pitfalls for, for each of the styles too. Why is it important for us to understand that in regards to our own um, sacred pathway? Yeah, it's a great question, Andy. I think uh, there's something uh, part of our human DNA, maybe it's even our sin DNA, I don't know, that that uh, tries to um, just really uh, kind of legalize a, an experience and to standardize an experience and then to say that's the way it should be for everybody. So I think those are our pitfalls when it comes to these nine sacred pathways is that we maybe we lock onto one and then we, we project onto the rest of the body of Christ. This is how you should do it. It's interesting. Uh, Emily and I lived in, in Ukraine. So we lived in the former Soviet Union and the name of the, the Russian Orthodox church is Pravoslavny. Prava means right or correct. Slavny means worship. And so even the name Sometimes we can adopt names that's built in. It means the right or proper way to worship. And I think that's one of the pitfalls that, that Gary Thomas is writing about is he's trying to pull us back from projecting onto everyone else that there's a proper way to worship and other ways are improper. Uh, again, that's one of the most liberating and freeing things I think about this book is that people can now be set free to worship God and to, to follow Jesus in ways that feel um, more natural, and, and they're more inclined to, and they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. So I think one of the greatest pitfalls we can fall into is pointing to another style or method of worshiping God and saying that's wrong. That's great. And there are some things that are wrong, by the way, <laughs> but, <laughs> but everything on this list that he's, he's uh, developed, these nine sacred pathways, I think all of those fall within the scope of how God has created us as worshipers. So when you said you're a naturalist, um, do you think that these trips that you've taken to these national parks, uh, that, that's something you can't do every day? So how do you find yourself bringing that in? Uh, you said like lighting a candle. Would you consider that part of a naturalist thing because it is it is really a flame you know fire mm -hmm. very natural yeah. element is that what you were 
saying was your kind of natural way of I think the, the, the candle is more of a sensate way, just kind of, okay. a, yeah, sure. it's a, it's a sight and a, and a, um, and a aroma thing because it's usually a scented candle. Uh, but, but I've, I've really, um, I enjoy, uh, running or walking, uh, cycling. Those are all outdoor activities. I mean, you can do them at, indoors, but I prefer to do them outdoors. Um, I think like so many people, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, um, they, as we've been confined to our homes, people have been just outside more, um, taking walks in their own neighborhoods. Um, and to me, that's very, very gratifying. Uh, it satisfies the, the naturalist in me. Um, I mean, our, our neighborhood has a lot of mature trees, so there's birds and squirrels and rabbits and, um, it's and I used to even run or walk with headphones listening to worship music, which is fine, but I've actually been just doing that without any headphones now. And I've really kind of in grown and just enjoying the symphony of natural sounds that God has created. The the city just is quieter. There's not as many cars out. And, and so uh, that's been a, an easy way for me to kind of connect as a naturalist to um, God, the beauty of God's creation right in my own neighborhood. Andy, I would love to hear from you, actually. Uh, do you have something that you feel is the opposite from Paul that, that you connect with? Uh, I just want to get some more perspectives on uh, what, what you kind of find yourself being drawn to and how you worship. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not an outdoorsy person. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and another thing, I, I, I really dislike running. So, yeah. so, so those are both very far from the op. Or very no like mosquitoes, no sweating, right? Oh, not if I could help it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and mine is definitely. I I find myself leaning more towards that intellectual side of um, when I feel uh, closest to God is is as I'm learning new things, and and it and it's not always in the scripture. I like to read. Um, church history like just like multiple things but but i like to see uh interconnectedness in it too you know so so definitely more towards that intellectual side um i will say though that yesterday at at lunchtime i just needed to get outside for some reason and so i i got out uh took the dog wasn't expecting to do that but she she begged so took the dog for a walk and just had a great, it was just 20 minutes, but, um, yeah, it was really, it, it really helped rejuvenate me halfway through the day, you know, a nice little time of just connecting again with God in the middle of the day. And, um, so while I would say that normally I am very far from that naturalist when, in regards to my sacred pathway, um, I do still find value in it from time to time. And, and so I found that yesterday. But uh, usually any day, just give me a book <laughs> and, and, and that's where I, that's where I want to be, you know? So, so yeah, that, that would be mine. How about you, Adrian? Um, I do connect with the naturalist, but uh, like you, Andy, I am no runner and I definitely hate mosquitoes and bugs, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did, I, I have found myself um, when it's kind of the middle of the day and my son is napping and I kind of have this hour to myself, I have found myself going outside and just 
laying on a blanket and, and having those reset times like you were talking about, Paul, just uh, setting a timer for 10 minutes and closing my eyes and feeling the sun, listening to the birds, listening to the wind, rustling the leaves. Um, and those have been really awesome for me. And so I actually did that before I read this book and then discovered, oh, hey, I think I'm a naturalist um, because I've been connecting with God that way. But um, one that stuck out to me was this sensate. So that's the kind of being overwhelmed by these sights and and sounds. And, And this is one of those instances where I don't feel this very often, and I don't necessarily feel it in, like I would say, even our Crossroads Worship Center. Um, But I have this very specific memory when I was reading this chapter of being at a wedding last year, and it was in just a very old traditional church with a super high ceilings. And during the middle of this wedding, they stopped to play uh, a hymn. And so everyone stood up, the organ started blasting, and it was just kind of seeing this whole church and people singing. And I was totally overwhelmed to tears. And, um, and so I'm like, how do I, how do I create that on an everyday? I don't know if that's something that I, I need to try to create something like that, but is that blasting worship music or listening? I think listening to classical music, I sometimes scores. Um, he refers to Handel's Messiah, and that is one for me as well, of um, that kind of moves me to tears. And so it's it's interesting now that I'm thinking about it and reading it and mulling it over. It's like, oh, I can connect to God in this way. I need to try to seek out these these pathways um, to kind of keep it keep, keep the romance alive, I guess, is what he talks about in the book, which I love is uh, that it's not a dating relationship. It's more of a marriage. And so you just try these different things uh, to, to relate to God and uh, just kind of keep things interesting. So, you know, I think we, ha- we need to install a, a pipe organ in your office. Adrian is the answer. <laughs> So. <laughs> that shouldn't be expensive. I don't wouldn't think. I don't think a pipe organ is an everyday worship thing for me. <laughs> I think I'd probably get pretty sick of it pretty fast. I do want to comment on one thing you said, which was that you set a timer for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I think that's that's the way um I think that's a freeing way to just mix up our, our worship of God, our experience of God throughout a day. Um, again, back to uh, kind of like deconstructing a little bit the whole hour-long daily quiet time that you start mm-hmm. your morning with. Um, I love the idea of setting a, setting a, a timer for 10 minutes and, as you said, going outside and putting down a blanket and looking at the sky or setting a timer for 10 minutes and just, I'm going to worship God. I'm just going to speak words of worship to Him for 10 minutes or light a candle and um, and and read a scripture for two minutes, five minutes. I think these are all uh, thinking of these almost as like spiritual snacking <laughs> throughout yeah. the day rather than trying to, to fit it all into one feast. Yeah. One of the things um, that as I read through each of these types and uh, you know, as we're talking about like what, which ones we relate to, there were a couple as I, as I read them, honestly, I felt a little bit guilty for not relating to it more closely and and for me, like that activist, and and some in some ways the caregiver, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like um, I I definitely felt guilt when I when I read those for for not relating to them 
more closely. Can you kind of um, talk through that for us a little bit? Sure. You know, there was a, a helpful book written on spiritual gifts. I referenced it a little bit earlier by Peter Wagner. It's called How Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. He wrote this a number of years ago. But in this book, he writes about how there are spiritual gifts that God gives us, but sometimes we have to practice gifts that are not um, gifts, that are, are, are primary ones. For example, he's a married man, and so um, he feels like he was not given the gift of celibacy um, because so he got married. But when he's away from his wife, he has to practice the gift of celibacy. And, and some, we may not have the gift of faith, but at times God calls us to practice the exercise, the gift of faith. So, and I think in the same way that none of that needs to be a, a guilty experience, I think feel the same way about these nine sacred pathways. Um, so we may not resonate most closely or feel close to God when we're serving, but we still have times that we need to serve. Uh, we may not resonate most closely to God when we are studying God's word even, but there are times that we need to study God's word. So I think there are, there are pieces of this that are um, hopefully stretching for us because they're not our primary way of connecting to God. Um, I personally believe that God um, doesn't want any of this to be a guilt-ridden experience. Um, he, he loves us and he wants us to love him in ways that um, we really uh, enjoy. Um, but to answer your question, Andy, I, I think that, um, that we can operate in what I would call our primary pathways, uh, but always be open to God tapping, tapping us on the shoulder to practice a secondary pathway, which may be the caregiver. It may be um, the activist, something that we're not naturally inclined toward. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate you taking the time. And, sure. And, and just if I can make a, another comment about that, too, I think when we, when we don't appreciate um, those secondary pathways, either in ourselves or especially in other people, that's where I think we get really sideways with other believers. And um, even as I examine the landscape of, of uh, churches in the tri-state, um, I think there's been some, some differences and some, some falling out because of some differences of, of, uh, of worship. So these are things that we feel very deeply, by the way, right? I mean, it's hard to get more intimate than thinking about how we worship God. And so it's natural that we think that there's a right way and, and wrong way. Um, but it is okay. I think there, there, there are churches that love the Lord that have a regular, uh, for example, a choir. And there's churches that don't. There are churches that use uh, contemporary music and churches that don't. There's churches that have uh, stained glass windows and natural light and churches that don't. Um, so I think if we, the, I think part of this is a, is as much a exercise in maturity as a believer as it is in even worship. And part of maturing in Christ is realizing that people are different from us and that their needs are met in a different way than ours are. So I hope that kind of helps. Yeah, that's really neat. That was something that I was kind of sensing as I was reading through it, you know, um, looking at this through the lens of, of that living and loving like Christ. And then 
knowing that the author said that um, Christ was the complete man and operated through all nine of these um, sacred pathways, just thinking as I become more like Christ, as I learn to live and love like him, that it, it seems like it just makes sense that being more open to each of these sacred pathways would be a part of that uh, maturation process. So I was glad to hear you say that, say that too, kind of confirmed yeah. what I was kind of, kind of picking up as I was going through it as well. Sure. Yeah. I think until we realize that we can spend so much of our life uh, trying to, uh, to pound a square peg into a round hole, just like we can do that even in our marriages and other relationships. We, we, we get out a hammer and chisel and we try so hard to try to shape the other person into who we are rather than inviting them to grow in a journey with us to be made into the likeness of Christ. And, um, I, you know, I'm embarrassed at, you know, ways that I've, in my own spiritual journey, um, been too dogmatic in wanting people to be uh, more like me or wanting me to, wanting them to connect with God in the ways that I do uh, rather than, and so that's why, again, this book was pivotal for me, as I think it is for many people who read it to go, you know what, it's okay to let people be different. And I think that's a really cool connecting point and, and another act of, maybe collectively worshiping God is in a good, even conversation starter with other believers of just, Hey, how do you guys connect with God? What, and you can even bring these things up into conversation if they haven't read the book or, or even as a small group, you know, going through that. It's, it's a really cool idea of just talking to each other about how they relate to God and then either getting ideas from one another or just celebrating the fact that our God is bigger than our own minds <laughs> and and like you said putting him in a box and i think that's really cool yeah i agree so i i learned how to do inductive bible study in college so how to to, to do it personally but also to do it in a group how to open the word of god ask questions have discussion and learn from one another and i loved it i thought this is the, my this is my favorite experience of christian community and the more that I, I, I heard, you know, well, you also need to have a daily quiet time where you're by yourself. That for me, that was like torture. Um, I'm, I'm better at it now. But, you know, the, the, the thought of just being by myself, I wanted to be around people in the Word of God. I wanted to be talking about it. I want to be interacting with it. And just being by myself, I always, um, you know, would just be so easily distracted. I still have to fight it sometimes <laughs> to this day. Um, uh, so I, I hope that's helpful to the listeners just to realize that um, if, you've, if you've spent the majority of your Christian walk feeling guilty uh, about uh, a way that a certain pathway doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. Just feel free to, to, um, to, to explore some pathways that maybe you go, oh, this is how I connect with God. Well, thanks so much, Paul, for being with us today and talking through this with us and even sharing a little bit about your own uh, personal impact on this. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. It's been fantastic. You are more than welcome. It's been a, just a delightful discussion um, to have with you guys. And so thank you for the invitation. Our thanks go out to Paul once again for taking the time to speak with us and for sharing his insights on Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways. If you're interested in reading it for yourself, a link to the book can be found on our website along with the notes for this episode. We hope you'll join us next week for part two of this podcast. 
We're excited to hear from worship leaders Bree Bondurant and Chris Hirsch about their own experiences with the book and how it informs their approach to leading our church family in worship. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that this episode of the podcast has encouraged you to go to be the church and live and love like Jesus.